Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I am here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you guys for joining us. I'm very excited to be here with you, and I hope that you are excited because we've got a great show lined up for you, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest in just a moment, but I wanted to tell you, don't forget, you can plug in with us by going to thehousinghour.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, um, facebook.com slash thehousinghour. Twitter at the housing hour and also on Pinterest. Mark is our pinner. So you can find him there as well. Um, he is one of the best. I tell you, it's, it's amazing how bigly he's getting on uh, Pinterest. So anyway, without you give me a either, lot of material, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Without any further ado, we want to introduce our resident expert on all things, technology and just everything that you could possibly imagine. Um, we have with us who's been on many times before Dr. Mike Simpson, Michael L. Simpson. Welcome. Welcome to the show again. Well, it's always great to be here with you, Kevin, and yeah. I see Mark's here, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it starts early right off the bat. Oh, you know what, uh, Mark, we, we all give Mark a hard time, but you know why? Because we love him. <laughs> you know, that's well, my, really Mike and I go way back to middle mm-hmm. school, and mm-hmm. so he's been brilliant that entire mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you finished middle school yet? <laughs> <laughs> the hits keep on coming. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. With his tutoring, I got through. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited to have Mike in. Uh, is it okay if I call you Mike? Is Absolutely. That, right. Please do. Yes. So, because there's a lot of things happening right now, and, and one of the things that Mark brought up just the other day when we were sort of planning having you on was to discuss, of course, the 50th anniversary. We're kind of in that time period of Apollo 11, which was obviously a huge moment in American, well, no, world and human history. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we want to talk a little bit about that because even though maybe today a lot of the kids, like my kids, you know, they hear about it in science class or they hear about it on whatever they're doing, but it's, I don't know, is as readily available to the common kid that's 10, 11, 12 years old. It's just one of those things that may just not get, get really dug into. When were you born, Kevin? 1976 and bicentennial. Oh, so right. he missed it. You missed it. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was a remarkable thing to witness yeah, as, as an eight year old. Yeah. You know, to sit and watch this as an eight year old was was a transcendent experience, right? It's mm-hmm. it's it makes it different. Actually, why don't that's a great place to start because I want to hear from you. You're sitting there inside of your living room. Everybody's mm-hmm. gathered around. Mm-hmm. There's one TV in the house because that's all the people had at the time, sure. right? Yeah. So you did. You know, we weren't live streaming it on your iPad and all that. No. So walk me through because you were eight years old and you remember that day, right? Tell I, me a little bit about that day. I do. You know, I I remember it quite well, and yeah, I, I actually kind of mixed it up with um with a memory I had of going and watching a moon landing on at school. Mm. It must have been Apollo 12 that happened when I was in school because the, it was July 20th. When mm. the, but I, re, I remember clearly, you know, watching, you know, watching him walk down the ladder and taking that step and making the big comments. And of course, we all watched Walter Cronkite. I don't know a person who watched anybody else other than Walter Cronkite. Mm. And it was a different country back then. We had these common experiences where we all watched 
the same thing in the same way and talked about it together the next day. Now we, like you said, we all have our own news. We all have our own thing on our phone or whatever. We don't have common experiences that we come around the water cooler with, mm. you know, the way we did back then. So it was, it was a very different world. You know, and, and it, it is a very different world. And in some respects, things are similar because just as an example, I'm talking about high level events like the World Cup when the ladies were in the World Cup. You know, I knew a lot of people that were watching that or when SpaceX does a launch. There's a lot. There's a lot of people that watch that or, you know, when Tiger Woods is winning the Masters, there was a lot of people watching that. I think that there's segmentations of it, but this was just the biggest event that humankind right. had ever mankind had ever seen. I mean, right. and Mark, uh, were you alive? In oh, yeah, <laughs> I was alive. And how old were you? Well, I was nine at the time. Oh, okay. So you're so the senior just, of the group. Probably just turned nine mm-hmm. at the time. But uh, one of the things that I remember, and Mike, I had the same experience. I kind of got confused with uh, uh, the Apollo 12 mission, too, because mm-hmm. I remember being in, you know, with my grandparents. Well, that didn't happen to the year following right, that I was. Yeah, so yeah. so you, you have these blended moments. Mm-hmm. And then the big thing that impacted me when I was a kid that really upset me was Apollo 1. Mm. Do you remember what oh, happened yeah, to Apollo yeah. 1? Apollo 1 was the horrible uh, oh, the fire. The yeah. fire. They didn't even they get off the they, ground. Yeah. Exactly. I remember. Well, they weren't even really, trying to get off the ground. Was a test. It was a, a ground test. test. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I remember watching the series on HBO that was really well done. Yeah. Right. And I remember experiencing that, feeling like well, I had watched it. You don't expect. I mean, that that pro uh, NASA was perfection. You know, mm. everything worked. You know, just and then you had this fire and, you know, that was traumatic. I remember to me that really tested the resolve of the program, didn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, they went through the whole Mercury program Mm -hmm. with all the firsts that were in the Mercury program. They went through the whole Gemini program. They didn't lose anybody. So Mm -hmm. there was this air of invincibility about, you know, about NASA as an organization and about Mm -hmm. us as a country. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, it was when there was all that strife about the Vietnam War and all these things that were kind of tearing us apart. And then there was this one huge thing that brought us all together. And it, it was kind of a blow to the to the national psyche when the when the Apollo one accident happened. So when, you know, I guess obviously we were still ha- we still had goals to get to the moon. Right. But when JFK sort of made that that announcement, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think if I'm not mistaken, it was in September of 62. Uh, uh, around there and he he claimed it at that moment and it was sort of a target and i'm sure there was a lot of people that were thinking that's you know it's just not going to be able to happen maybe it will happen but we're putting a a timeline on it that's too quick and but sure enough within seven years we were stepping on the moon when you were not but one years old one year old at that point but looking back in history that was a pretty big claim to make at that moment wasn't it It was, I think, uh, you know, looking back on it, it was um, bordered on arrogant, Mm. right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, because you're sitting there with 1960s technology. Right. You were beaten to space by the Russians, which, you know, really kind of launched this sort of national focus on winning the space war. Mm. And then you're like, we haven't even put a person, uh, you know, barely have put people in orbit, right? Mm -hmm. Just barely. Right. And, And we're talking about going someplace 250,000 miles away, right? landing a man there, and then bringing them back safely. So, yeah, I mean, that was that was vision that you just don't see anymore. That's but, but one of the things that is in that generation, mm-hmm. because Jack Kennedy represented the greatest generation, right. is that they had the Manhattan Project, which created 
the the atomic bomb. Oh, yeah. And you know, so this brought us into the scientific, you know, mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. And I, I think nothing to that generation was impossible. Yeah. That's a very good point. So I think think the whole World War II thing was was huge to giving this country the idea they could do great things. Right. Because they weren't really a world power Mm -hmm. before World War II. So they came out of the Depression. They went into World War II. They won a world war. Mm -hmm. And then basically reorganized the world. Yeah, into the you know the, the new world order. Mm. So there was a confidence that you use your words carefully, yeah. Doctor. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, the new world order sort yeah. of has that you know that uh, air of uh, you know, conspiracy, yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> well, you know, we're of course going to have the one world government, and right. You know, so. <laughs> Are you getting your chip installed coming up? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it also uh, just it makes me think too about you know, looking back in the history of the United States and you think about Pearl Harbor and what part it played Mm -hmm. in the Manhattan project and what part the Manhattan project played in the moon race. Mm -hmm. And then what, what part the moon race had on what we now look at today as being our tech, you know, our technology really. And we're going to talk about in the next segment, we're going to get a little more into, to detail about what it is that this whole moon, this whole NASA era that we had in the sixties and seventies and beyond um, what it's done to today and where we are going from what we've learned. Um, I think that's a great segmentation. And next segment, let's talk about ORNL, Oak Ridge mm-hmm. National Lab, what in, uh, what contribution they made with the man walking on the moon. Because yeah. we did something in Oak Ridge that couldn't have, if it, without it, they wouldn't have been able to bring back the stuff that they went for. Tang? Tang. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to have enlightened me, Mark. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, we'll okay. talk about it. Yeah. yeah. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Oh, that's great. And that's that was the, the words that were spoken just right there as he began to step on the lunar surface and uh, Buzz Aldrin in tow, I guess, behind him. And um, really a great, Still great moment. Still make the hairs it rise on my uh, it does me too. Incredible. Well, what I'm excited too about is just having Dr. Simpson back because it's been a little while since we've yes, had him. Right. Um, you had mentioned you didn't want him back for a little while. Yeah, Maybe I didn't. Had a, I so you guys, you're some... all recovered? <laughs> okay, good, good, good. <laughs> no, but we're excited to have him in studio and uh, we'll continue talking with him. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested too uh, to get into more about what, what NASA has done for our entire country and world, frankly. And uh, we'll jump into those topics and much more right after these messages. Ground control to major tones. Seven, six, commencing countdown engines on. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am here at Mission Control, and we're talking the space journey that we had back in the 60s. And we're talking about the culmination of a lot of hard work, a lot of planning, 
a lot of things that went into ultimately setting foot on the moon. And there was a lot of uh, research that was had to be done. There was a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of people that had to collaborate from a variety of different, you know, uh, countries. I, I mean, the United States was the head, you know, headed up the whole thing as it related to us getting to the moon and landing the moon. But they certainly interfaced with other folks. And, you know, it was really a, 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 a it was really a a moment in history for not just the United States, but technically everyone who walked the earth at the time, it was, everybody owned it in a way. And it was our accomplishment. It was. But everybody knew about it and everybody sort of said, wow, humans can do great things. And you know, what I was mentioning about Oak Ridge, uh, oh, yeah, part yeah. of uh, Apollo 11, was uh, of all this planning, of all this detailed driven nasa right. plan they forgot one thing yeah. is that what are they going to put the rocks in when they get wow. on board and they had forgotten about that up to the launch it was pretty close to the launch date i mean within reason mm -hmm. and they contacted the uh, national lab in oak ridge and they said yeah we can do that and they they went back into in the the scientists said we had no idea what to do but they designed <laughs> they designed a box and that box is still on display at the oak ridge national lab oh, museum wow. that's cool. so i went to see it last year and it you know it's just it looks like a suitcase it looks like a samsonite yeah. silver chrome looking suitcase that's I, I would that's i would bet you anything that there was no scientists involved whatever there was a guy in the machine <laughs> shop <laughs> you know? maybe, maybe that's right. probably true <laughs> yeah that's so cool well in um, the nice thing of course about understanding the moon's gravity gravity is that you know things don't weigh as much so you can probably get by with a little bit um heavier uh, of a you know contraption because moon rocks obviously we don't really know mm -hmm. if they're at the time at least you know what is there going to be their ability to hold together and i'd love to know where those things are today and where can i visit them y'all probably know. there's well, some at ut you're really yeah no there's kidding. some they at spread UT, them out so, yeah so they're but but Mike, you would know that uh, the the weight of this stuff was a consideration because they oh, had okay. to get that lunar uh, land module off the planet. So they had a uh, certain percentage of rocks that they yeah. Could really so take. there was oh. actually this was actually an issue with Apollo thirteen, the, yeah. the mission that mm -hmm. you know that we almost lost the crew. Right? Yeah, is when they were coming back into uh, entry, they were shallowing up, mm. you know, to the point that they might actually burn up in re-entry or bounce off right because they had underestimated well they hadn't underestimated but since they didn't land they didn't have any rocks that's right since they didn't have the rocks they didn't uh, have the weight wow see wow. little details yeah. that's pretty cool i was listening this morning to a couple of stories and one of them was the gentleman who was actually announcing for i guess in the room you know he was sort of the pa announcer if you will and he was explaining how these warning signs were going off as they were descending mm -hmm. and they just weren't quite sure what was happening but they knew that they needed to be landed within 60 seconds or there wasn't going to be enough fuel and they were going to have to abort the mission and so the explanation was because buzz was the pilot i'm assuming or the, the no actually you know, arms wasn't arm, yeah. okay. oh that's right so he he was was to land in a boulder field because he was able to visually see it and so he had to go this gentleman was saying i just watched it a little while ago like a mile beyond where they had projected but he was so skilled and he was just you know he was able to make it within he, 13 seconds left he had seconds of fuel left when he landed the, the interesting thing to me and i didn't know this at the time right at the time i was like 
man, he sounds amazingly calm. Right? Right, right. What I found out recently was, you know, and they had telemetry on these guys. What I found out recently is was his heart rate had gone to 160. Who? Yes. Niels? Niels, yeah. So and, wow. and, and during the launch, they did the telemetry on their hearts, and yeah. his heart rate was like 86. Yeah. So it didn't bother him a bit, but this yeah. one did. This one did. But he never, like, you just listen to him, and he's just calm and steady and unflappable. Yeah. And then he's just, you know, Houston, this is Tranquility Base. And you're just yeah. like, wow. Wow, <laughs> the eagle has landed, yeah. you know. That is amazing. And, you know, this is probably not something that we would talk about on this show for any great length of time. So I want to get to some other topics. But there's a whole other aspect of this is watching these these folks' lives at, at when they returned. And mm-hmm. just, you know, the the type of hero and, and that they became and, and the star power that they had because they had been the first to do something that was so incredible. And I think that only 12 people have actually ever stepped on. That's um, that's correct. And I think just uh, not two, three, four months ago, Israel Mm -hmm. made an attempt to land on the moon. And if I'm not mistaken, that didn't work. So there's been a lot of attempts, but only 13 people. So what, what do you think? I mean, these guys are just the only people to ever walk on the moon. Yeah. And I think, isn't there only one of them that's still alive? I think only Buzz. one. Really, yeah. Buzz is alive. Yeah. I think Mike Collins. No, Mike didn't walk. He didn't so walk. Buzz. Yeah. I think so it's I think, Buzz. I think wow. only one of them is still alive. At, you know, at this point, and you know, not only have we lost the people, we've lost a lot of the technology. Mm. If, you know, we could not put a man on the moon right now. Mm. It would it would take another big project to to launch man back to the moon so we do we have the bl- i mean we have the blueprint i guess you would say but things have changed yeah the problem is you don't have the know-how see that's yeah see this is the because that problem. lives in one's mind exactly you don't have the people anymore the people you know all the people that made that happen are gone yeah and that's really mm-hmm. a good idea to think yeah. through, like machine learning and yeah. um, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. because all of this is written down. Mm-hmm. But without that human perspective and the experience, right. it's hard to replicate something as intense as yeah, this. Yeah, there's actually, in anything this complicated, there's a lot of things that never quite get written down. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, you know what I just said about this, some machinists probably... Right. Okay. So it even comes down to things like that. You've mm-hmm. got machinists in the machine shop who like look at what the engineer drew and go, that's not ever going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then they do something that works. Yeah. The engineer thinks he designed it right. and that's what he got back was what he designed. Right. He you thought. Know? Yeah. <laughs> well, so. right. One of the things that struck me when they came back in, mm-hmm. in Splashdown, yeah. uh, they were in protective gear because mm-hmm. of contaminations that right. they thought they were bringing back. And one of the engineers during this documentary say, you know, what a farce. They opened up the door of the uh, the, the spacecraft. Then any contaminant was coming out anyway. Right. So here right. they come out in these, these suits uh, yeah. totally sealed and they wiped them down mm-hmm. and then threw the rags in the water. i mean we take it for granted now that nothing at all lives on the moon right right we didn't know that no we didn't we didn't know if there was you know some kind of primitive microorganisms or something we didn't know that there was water on the moon right there was i mean you just didn't know well you told me something actually and i want to get to the technology thing we have plenty of time because you and i uh mike uh before we started, you were, we were just joking about the conspiracy theories that say, oh, no, you know. You were they, joking? Uh, <laughs> but you said, well, it's easy because there's a reflector. Tell me, tell me why, what yeah, you told well, me. They, they left behind a, a reflective surface on the moon, mm-hmm. and people all the time, universities, 
nerds of the world over, mm-hmm. bounce a laser off of that reflector and see it come back. Wow. And so, isn't yeah. that cool? That is cool. I didn't know that. You didn't know no. that either? I did not I, okay, know that. Okay, good. No. I'm glad because I no. didn't either. I knew about the box. Yeah. yeah. And they can measure, <laughs> and there's something they can measure between the distance or what does the laser really do? Yeah. Well, the laser hits the reflector and it reflects back and, and it gets caught by a detector that detects the laser light. Mm-hmm. And you can see how long it took it to get there and come back. So wow. you know how many, because of the speed of light, you know right. how many miles it had to travel. You can sit there and calculate, yeah, that's how far away the moon is. Wow. <laughs> wow. Know, so. so let's right. let's talk about this because technology-wise, and there's a word for it, and I can't remember what it is, but to get out of our gravitational pull, there's no. something velocity. something Escape velocity. Escape velocity. Right. So one of the first things that, this was going back way before we actually made it to the moon, yeah. but they had to figure out how do you get to escape velocity, right? So that involved uh, just a propulsion at a rate of speed that man didn't really at the point know. Tell me what escape velocity is, and then we'll carry right. that on to the next segment. So you can think about gravity as, as being, um, one, one way to think about it is being like a valley, mm-hmm. right? And so you got to get up out of this valley. So imagine yourself being in a car, and you got in what you want to do is you want to get out of the valley and you want to go to the other side of the mm-hmm. mountain. Okay. If you're going slow enough, you're not going to get up, right? Mm-hmm. You have to go fast enough that you can get all the way to the top. Right. That's Momentum what, has to carry you to the You have to you have to level. have right. You have to you have to put enough energy in that you can get to the top. While at the same time knowing you have to reserve enough energy to do whatever it is that you need to do. Right. I mean, obviously. I mean, yeah. that's like... You obviously, know, if, Kevin. <laughs> if, if, if they're like, for example, if there is like a mission to Mars at mm. some point, we probably won't launch that mission from Earth. Right. You know, so we'll lurch, we'll launch it from low Earth orbit or or something like that. The moon. Mm. Or the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Oh, well, or, or right. yeah. So, right. so that's interesting. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, there was an entire rocket technology that had to be, the Saturn V was an engineering marvel that got you to be able to propel all the way to the moon. Wow. And our senior vice president, Steve Smith, Mm. his father was part of the- Executive vice president. Executive (laughs) vice president, that's right. His father was part of the propulsion uh, laboratory and design some of those rockets. Yeah. Yeah. Rocket Mortgage isn't the only people with rocket scientists. That's pretty incredible, actually. And we've had Steve on the show talking about that. This is a fascinating conversation, and we're so thankful that you've dropped in to talk with us and listen to us today. Continue with us right after these messages. Perhaps I may become a highwayman again. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray, and I'm here with Mark Griffith, executive producer and co-host, and Eric in there doing our producing, and also Dr. Michael L. Simpson. Uh, professor, doctor, extraordinaire, knows a little bit about everything. I would say he knows a lot about a lot of yeah. things. And you know what? Coincidentally, he actually is very uh, in tune with uh, Tennessee football. 
Oh, he's well. very good at that. Um, <laughs> section O. He's got he's the best there. opinions in the world. That's of that. right. I, I've never had so much fun when I sat in between <laughs> Mike and Mark at this game. And I mean, it was... It was, I mean, it was Negavals is what it was, but it was, it, it, it was supposed to be because we played terribly and you were really good at diagnosing. Oh, I remember it. that game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was like, we couldn't do anything right. And y'all, your all season tickets are, are uniquely positioned because you can really see, I know everybody says that, but really you're down low enough. You can see the whole field. You can really see things develop. So, oh yeah. So real quick, we're not going to go far on this. You told me twelve and zero uh, before the show starts. No, I'm just kidding. I think you had that flipped. Zero <laughs> <laughs> oh, and thirteen with the bowl game. There you go. There you go. The toilet bowl. But what do you think? Seven to five. I think that's reasonable. Seven five eight four something like that. Yeah. I think it's. You know, you never know how this stuff's going to go, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, surely we can get this know. turned around. If we can put a man on the moon, yeah. surely we can get Jared Garantano not to get sacks on yeah. So, well, anyway, uh, for another for another time, we can have a Vol Nation series maybe with Mike, because I think mm. he probably be better than some of the former Vols that have come on, to be honest, breaking yeah. down the film. Um, Certainly more passionate. <laughs> right. No doubt about that. Um, we were, before the last break, we were talking a little bit about well, we were sort of talking about a variety of things, but um, in this next segment, I think we can we can touch on some of that. But also, um, we also wanted to learn what was it that we really received from the space program, and right. specifically mm-hmm. this this event, this huge event, because it kind of felt like we were like, all right, we got to the moon, and then now what yeah. you know right. so but talk me through because there was there was politics involved we had the challenger we had you know there was some obstacles in the space program that it's seen since we landed on the moon mm-hmm. um money's a big factor obviously i mean it, it costs a lot of money to get and you have political wins that will shift the nation's right. attention you know you have wars i mean there's a lot that's going on right, right. But talk to me a little bit about, and, and there was something else that we wanted to touch on. I think I forgot, but we ended technology. This, yeah, but there was something. Okay, well that's that's what we really want to get to. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So so like any kind of research program like this, there's always big spinoff technology, right? Mm-hmm. And the space program was, um, you know, perhaps one of the most impactful things. Um, if you like looked at our GDP right now, gross domestic product right now, and said how much of that could you trace back? to yes it's huge right i mean it's it's so things that you might not even think about so for example uh computer chips Mm -hmm. you know what we call integrated circuits they were first developed for rocket technology Mm -hmm. for control systems for because rockets are hard to control Mm -hmm. and so designing (laughs) these circuits out of you know discrete transistors instead of these very compact you know computer chip kinds of things was the driving force behind the computer chip, which eventually won somebody the Nobel Prize mm. in physics, to the dismay of a lot of physicists, <laughs> but <laughs> but you can trace that back to the to the space program and and, um, and rocket technology. The fact that we we do we routinely fly by wire, basically digital control of flying, that was demonstrated and proven and shown in the space program. Mm. Now so, you're so you're saying like rockets are hard to control. Right, compared so, to, right, yeah. If rockets are hard to control, then just yeah. keep your mortgage on the ground with us. I had there, to there you I go. Had to that yeah, I go. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah, rockets you. are, you know, it's not one button. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so. But there was a so, lot of technology that was created to do what you're saying that now, today, we have right. it 
using it in other other things. If you've ever been to the hospital and had a CAT scan, well, CAT scans were developed to find manufacturing flaws in spacecraft. Wow, they did not know that. Yeah, that that is that is absolutely true. Um, Rescue blankets, insulation—you know, the silver coating on insulation, those rescue blankets, and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff—developed in the space program. Mm -hmm. A variety of materials, lightweight materials. We, yeah, at the time, Mark probably remembers this. We we walked around and talked about space age materials. Right Mm -hmm. now, they're just materials. They're just, yeah, they're just we. Their everyday life, and know, and of some of the things too. When you talked about the moment ago about sad, the what was it called? The rocket that was created, yeah, Saturn, uh, the 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 Saturn V. Yeah. yeah, because that whole event and creating that particular rocket, I would assume mm-hmm. there was so much that was learned to create that. That scientists, I'm sure today, case studies and and so forth, have learned a lot just from that alone. Yeah, well, the the whole history of, you know, so people are always like, well, that's not rocket science, Mm. you know, when they're trying to. Right. And, you know, in a lot of ways, rocket science is not nearly the hardest of the sciences, Mm -hmm. but but it took years to get control of rocket technology. It was one thing to say, yeah, we're going to blast this thing off and we don't know where it's going to go. It was completely another thing to say, we're going to blast this thing off and it's going to go exactly where we tell it to go. Mm. And that was a technological feat to get from beginning rocket technology that started with the Nazis, right? Started Mm. in Germany. To get from that to something that could put a man on the moon was one of the greatest engineering feats of all time. But to think that one of the leading scientists at that time, starting with Apollo 1, and maybe Gemini, Hmm. maybe Mercury, was uh, Werner von Braun. Von Braun, well, even before that, right? was brilliant. He he basically, from the end of the war... And he was a Nazi, wasn't he? He was was German, yeah. Yeah. I think he was in the Nazi party. But, uh, you know, going from... You know, from after the war, all the way through, you know, big parts of the space program, it it all rested on his shoulders yes. to get that to that rocket technology to go. So, and he wanted to go to the Mars after yeah. the moon, so yeah. he was ready to take it to the construction yeah. site of the moon and then go for, forward to Mars. So, so the interesting thing about going to Mars is, is as challenging as it would be to propel to Mars, mm. we know how to do that. What we really have trouble with is how do we keep a crew alive and get them back? Mm. So there's something we're talking years and years it would take. Right? Yeah, so it's it's what Unless maybe we use that black maybe hole. maybe yeah <laughs> maybe three years to get to Mars right to land on Mars and then you know three years back. So there's a and you got to test that somehow. What I mean, yeah. I mean so it can't be just anybody that could do that. Well, the biggest pro- so for example, the radiation dose of being in space oh. that long would be so high that there's something in the I, th- I think it's something like a fifty percent chance that a crew member would develop cancer with how we know how to shield and and prevent wow. that now, right? Right. Uh, and you know, weight is a premium anytime you put something into space. So you just can't line this thing with lead. Right. You know, to, right. So, sure. So our biggest challenges are human challenges. It's like, how will people deal with three years of close quarters? Yeah. Would you, know? you, I mean, would you almost think, and this is just my ignorance probably, but that you may do a first go at it with just no one in there because of technology. Oh, we've, we've done, done that many times. That. But, well, right. But okay. I mean, landing and, well, I guess we have yeah, done we that. Have. We've got 
We haven't taken back off. Can you back that out? Because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember in 1997 when I sat there in my living room yeah. and watched those first images yeah. coming yeah. from Mars. Yeah. It still gives me chill bumps because I remember it was like, okay, we're getting some images in and a little bit would come up. And, and it was just seeing, and I can't remember what they called it, but that was amazing. But when you, when you talk about this around a table or something, because we've had this conversations at Christmas time and stuff, people always say, well, it's so long, it's so long for people to be away from their family. Lewis and Clark set an expedition and they went to the Pacific Ocean and they were gone two years and it didn't seem to bother them. Well, they were yeah. probably thrilled yeah. because some people don't like being around their yeah. family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I don't think you would like hurt for people who would be fine with being I yeah. think there would be a lot yeah. of people, but, but, uh, no, but getting, getting them back alive would, would be a real challenge. Well, he got yeah. shot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Clark got with, with a bow Clark. and arrow, or uh, no? One of his own men shot him in the buttocks. The buttocks. Okay. Yes. So Did he get scalp. ice cream? <laughs> I <don't think> so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was wanting before we because I, I want to dive more into what we need to do in order to get to Mars because I think that's really as you pivot from this 50th anniversary, the real questions to become: Do we wa- are we still focused on that? And you'll be able to maybe answer that because of your affiliations with the scientific community, but. Also, I want to even make sure people know some of the other things that have been invented because like memory foam, is that another memory, is, memory foam insulin? Yeah, that's absolutely. pretty cool. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to do without I didn't know memory that. Yeah. foam. Yeah. Um, and I guess it was how, why would you, why would that have been something that would have been invented? <laughs> is that just because of some sort of part of the ship or the sleeping quarters or, you know, when we take a break and I look at my phone briefly, mm-hmm. we'll find out. Uh, an honest answer we only have a minute left in this in this segment but um just i mean this site i'm just looking at anti-corrosion coating and uh let's see tang like you said tang was not that's a that's a myth scratch scratch resistant eyeglass lenses exactly that was for the visors Uh insulin pump I didn't know that one. Well, this what? is uh, life shears. I'm not sure what a life shear. Oh, it's like, well, life shears, I guess, the, where they cut people out of a car. Yeah, the jaws of life. Yeah. yeah. So. Charged couple device. Couple device. Yeah. Interesting. That's an imaging Amazing. imaging device. Yeah. Well, those are interesting uh, concepts. Water filters is yeah. another thing. But those are things that fascinate me because, like my children, that's what I can get them to learn. Yeah. Wow, we wouldn't have this if it wasn't for this. So mm-hmm. we'll continue talking with Dr. Michael Simpson right after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm here with executive producer and co-host and Pinterest star Mark Griffith. Also, uh, we have with us in studio Dr. Michael Simpson. He is a professor. He's also um, a scientist. He's nanotechnology is is sort of one of your fields of expertise, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? Yeah, I work yeah. at the Center for Nanophase Material Sciences at, yeah. at ORNL. Does nanotechnology ever have a place in space expo- exploration? at any point do you see in the future oh yeah really? uh, so so lots of so the th- some things like if you design things for space applications there's a few things that you know are absolutely critical mm-hmm. has to be light mm-hmm. has to be low power has to be radiation hard which mm-hmm. basically means it has to be able to take a lot of radiation but still function mm-hmm. and all of these things can be helped improved provided 
by um, nanoscience, nanotechnology. Does the Ant Man have anything to do with? <laughs> yeah. Do? Well, <laughs> if you could have an Ant Man, <laughs> it would be easier to get him to Mars. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Absolutely. And you know, we've had the which are so entertaining. The what or is this possible with Doctor mm-hmm. Mike Simpson? Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about. Uh, I think you know, we call our days. series fact or science fiction. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. There's the technical term. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the things that in 1960, when JFK was making that declaration they would have been having those same conversations and they were saying, I don't know. I don't think that's possible. Mm -hmm. So today we're thinking, can we get to Mars? We know we can get there. Mm -hmm. Whether we can get a human there is the next really concept, but there's so much that, and we've talked a little bit about that, whether it be memory foam or whether that be water filters. And did you find out by the way, the, the memory foam piece, right? It was for making seat cushions. See, there you go. I mean, if you're going to go 250,000 miles, it's got to be comfy. Yeah. Right. You know, (laughs) you just can't load up that little vibrating thing you have in your car. Right. But I I have a question before we move on to, to Mars, the subsequent moon landings that we had, Mm -hmm. you know, what did we learn in addition to what we already knew from Niels and Buzz? Well, so, uh, Neil and Buzz were only on the surface of the moon, I think, 20 hours, 21, right. 22, something, yeah, something like, that. like that. So they were they were there less than a day, right? Mm-hmm. So the other missions lasted longer. And you might remember they just walked on the moon. You might remember later missions had what they called a lunar rover. Oh, that's right. So they had a little, you know, go-kart. Mm-hmm. They that's went, right. They went further, right? Yeah. Obviously, they landed in different spots. So all we really learned from the first moon landing was what was right around the lunar lander at the Sea of Tranquility, right? Mm-hmm. The other missions went to different places, so you get a sense of how the moon varies, you know, over its surface, what different things are there. You learn a lot about, you know, the one of the big theories about how did we, why did we have a moon, where did the moon come from, is it was actually part of the Earth. Mm. There was some collision, a big part of the Earth split off, and goes out into space and gets preserved. And so now you've got this sort of like, what was Earth like when this happened? Wow. That's kind of sitting there, right? So mm-hmm. it's sort of, it's sort of, you know, kind of geology. Isn't yeah. there, yeah, isn't there something different about our moon than other moons in the, um, I guess, in the Milky Way? Something unique yeah. about it? I can't remember what that is. Well, so we really only know much about moons in, the, in our solar system, right. right? So we've gotten to the point we can find planets in other solar systems by mm. very tricky techniques, mm-hmm. sort of indirectly see planets, right? Right. Even find some that we think could be what they call in the, Goldie, the, the Goldilocks zone, which is the zone near, you know, not too near the sun, their star, but not too far from their star. Where life, for life. Where right. life might exist and that sort of stuff. But we don't know much about moons outside mm-hmm. this solar system. But and, but this moon, because you bring yeah. up this this point that it could be piece of the Earth that broke off years ago. Yeah, very likely. Which 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 they the scientists said. Well, mm-hmm. in that case, then it took some water with it, and there's a dark side of the moon, and it's yeah. so cold at almost absolute zero on that dark side that if it had water, that's where it would yeah. be. Guess what? They got Ogles Water Park over there. They got <laughs> Ogles Water Park right there. They well, found it. So. so haven't we seen the dark side of the moon when okay. they when Apollo thirteen went around? So uh, actually, all of the you know all of the uh, moon missions, yeah, um, orbited the the moon, right? Yeah. Now I will tell you, it's not actually the dark side of the moon; it's the far side of the moon. The far side. Okay, so it gets sun too occasionally. We we just don't see it. It doesn't get reflected to Earth. 
Gotcha. Because it's not spinning, right? So right. We, we just see one face of the moon. Huh, that's interesting. But, yeah. but, it, but it's not it's it's not always dark. It's just always far. It's always far. <laughs> yeah. For this point, yeah. you know, there's so much about the moon. We could talk for hours about that. Why it sh- why it looks um, larger in some um, times of the day or the year. And it's technically mm-hmm. the same distance from Earth always. Or is it, am, I, am I wrong? With, within, you know, there, the, like everything yeah. that's in orbit, there's some variability in how far away it is. But it doesn't look bigger because it's closer or further right. away or anything like that. It's it's an optical illusion. Yes, exactly. Yeah. An optical illusion, which right. somebody told me once that if you yeah. actually bend over and look through your legs back at it, that it will actually go back to its normal size. I haven't tried it yet, but I, we'll I bet they had a big laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't try it. You Were said you, that on air, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Were you holding the bag for the snipe I'm at the try, same hey, time? All the commoners out there listening, I'm, I'm representing them. So. Um, since we don't have a lot of time left, let, I do want to transition back to Mars. Because Mars, how far away, number one, do you know how far away Mars is approximately? Uh... You know, I don't know the exact, but it's a long mile. way. It's so Three the moon years. The, I think you mentioned the moon was like 250,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was three days to get from the earth to the moon. And it's, it's a three year mission just to get to Mars. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean you can't just divide those two numbers and multiply right, right, because right. there's, you know, you, you got to acceleration, you, right. And orbits and all kinds of things. Right. But, you know, we're talking millions of, we're not talking hundreds of thousands of miles anymore. We're talking millions of miles. And so when you think about that, and you had talked about this, Mark, in the first seg- segment, um, and I think you sort of agreed in a way, which I was surprised that Mark, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but that the launch at the, whenever we do send a human, would the launch be from Earth or maybe it would be from another launching point? Right. It, it would either be from orbit, Earth orbit, or as mm-hmm. Mark pointed out, you know, you could potentially do it from the moon and why would you want to why wouldn't you i mean because it well well it comes one, it's it, it comes more yeah it comes back time. to what you were talking about earlier about the escape velocity thing right oh so you burn you, up so much fuel right you don't want to be you don't want to have to come out of the uh, you know i told you about think about gravity's being in the bottom of this valley yeah you don't want to have to come out of the bottom of that valley to launch to mars you want to start from the top of the hill to you know, to, to launch. So it, it you know. just gives you, it gives you more in the tank. I mean, right. literally and figuratively. So you might even, you might even construct the spacecraft exactly. in, in orbit. I was going to say the yeah. construction of the material in yeah. space would be uh, a third of the cost, maybe even less. Right. Okay. According to Google, this may or may not be correct. It's 33.9 million miles away. Yeah. That makes sense to me. The, the, the sun is about 93 million miles away from earth mm-hmm. and Mars is still in that Goldilocks zone. So, you know, you would sort of figure 30, 40, 50 million miles would be kind of just, I mean, putting my mind around that just for a moment, it takes, I mean, I don't know how many miles, but you know, Oak Ridge is 20 minutes away from my house. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, maybe 15 miles. I don't really know. It's so hard to even conceive the distance and how big that the galaxy or the, the whole universe is. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's still growing, frankly. I mean, we're, we're, I believe you can correct me if I'm it's wrong. It's expanding. Correct? It's expanding. Yeah. And we have no idea you know, somebody um, just jokingly asked me the other day, I don't know if they were joking or not, but they said, do you think that there's life, uh, you know, in somewhere in the universe? And I was like, I'll tell you, I, I just don't know. I mean, there's no way that I can answer that mm-hmm. because it's, we're a tiny little speck right. in this huge universe. And I think exploring it, what do you think? Do you think that exploring it, going to Mars is worth the effort? 
That's those are tough questions, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, anytime you're talking about putting effort into something like this, you're always having to compare that against what you don't put the money into, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got all of these issues, right? We've got poverty, we've got disease, we've got cancer, we've got all of these other things. We've got other scientific things we could put our time and money into. Yeah. So it it kind of turn it turns into a value proposition mm-hmm. right is is should the money go here or should it go here now yeah. we've had big payoff from the money that we put into the space program yeah uh, i think i think the best calculation i saw was seven dollars in return for every dollar that we actually spent on that's well, per, that's, that's that's very good. mark yeah. uh, if, stock money there. yeah so if you can get seven to one yeah now you got seven to one going to the moon would you get seven to one going to mars okay right. so that's the financial argument then you got to answer the question of the science argument. Okay, mm. what do you learn from putting a man on Mars that you don't learn, or a woman on Mars mm-hmm. that you don't learn from putting uh, robots yeah. on Mars? Right. Right. So you've got to ask that question. Which we've kind of already done. We've done often, right? Yeah. So of course, one of the things you learn is is you learn how to get men or women there and back mm-hmm. that you don't know how to do now. Yeah. Right? And if we if we explore further if someday we think we want to live somewhere else which you know is not a good idea there is no planet b (laughs) right that's those are things you'd want to need i know of a few politicians i might want to see (laughs) yeah i could recommend i don't know well dr simpson thank you so much mike i know you would rather be called mike thank you for bringing in your you know information and, and sharing it with us openly because you know we don't pay you to do this and we're just so great hey, wait a minute <laughs> mark didn't tell me that <laughs> and mark thank you for connecting us and definitely thank you eric for stepping in and producing a great show for us that's the housing hour with kevin ray for today Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.